And as we started generating all of this work, they got the idea, well, let's not stop here. Let's start, you know, publishing on Hi, this is Stephanie Fowler. And this is Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, the stories behind the story, the writing process, and any other sort of miscellaneous writing stuff that we want to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have author David Dutton. He has written two novels, several short stories, and 11 plays. His work has appeared in six anthologies by Devil's Party Press, which also published his latest novel called One of the Maddening Crowd, and that was done in October 2018. It just won first place in the Delaware Press Association Awards for a book of novel length. So welcome to the podcast, David. Well, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to have you here, and congratulations on your recent win. Well, thank you. I was knocked over by it. (laughs) (laughs) I had no idea that... uh, it was even in the running until uh, the people at De- uh, Devil's Party Press called me and said, hey, your novel won. <laughs> I thought, what? <laughs> but, uh, no, it was quite an honor. Well, that's fantastic. And so the title is One of the Maddening Crowd. And it and then you and I were talking a little bit before the podcast. It kind of has a vintage feel yes. to, the, to the book and the layout and that whole thing. And so you and I were talking a little bit. But would you mind just telling our listeners a little bit about um, yeah, what, it, what's going on with it? It's a, um, a story that has several layers. Uh, it spans the time between, uh, I think it begins in 1957 and... Um, comes forward to the present. It deals with two young men who are cousins, uh, only children, of what is considered in southern Delaware um, old family. A little bit of prestige with it. Um, there are names, there are, there are roads with their names on them. Yeah, and buildings. Yeah. Yeah. And highways. And highways yeah. <laughs> but um, it traces their their lives and their um, development as they're affected by this heritage. Um, They find out as they grow older that no, the way they were raised was not really based in reality. It was based in this almost fictitious life that their ancestors and their parents had kept going year after year after year. And as I said to Stephanie, it gets dark. Right. Because there are, it uh, it comes to the point where you want uh, the protagonist, Mark Stedman, makes the statement that he, he says, first you must realize that I am mad. And he takes it from there, and the book kind of demonstrates that yes, in many respects, this boy, this man, is mad, hmm. uh, but it shows that to what length people will go to to preserve what they feel they're entitled to, and um, that's where it kind of gets dark. Now, this is is this an is this an intentional nod to the to the other? Uh... Oh yes. Yes. Um, in fact, in the prologue, um, we reference Hardy's. Uh, and book. now, wh- wh- how would how did how did you how did you come? Because 
Because when you're when you're gonna touch on something like that, you you have to have the confidence that yeah. I uh, I don't remember how it actually came about to tell you the truth, because when I joined our writers group, uh, which is called the Milton Workshop, they said, "Well, bring us something that you have written." And at that point in time, I had not been writing a lot, so I went back through my box of odds and ends and came across this folder, and I opened it. It was one of the matting crowd, and I thought, huh, I wrote that about 20 years ago. It was the the, uh, prologue and the first chapter, and I read it, and I thought, hmm, that's pretty good. I think I'll take that, and it grew out of that, Um, but... Um, in the sense of the matting crowd per se, Mark and his family and his heritage are all part of this intense busyness, mm-hmm. you know, that right. um, that they spend their whole lives generating this lifestyle that they're proud of and makes them feel that they're better than everybody else when actually, of course, they're not, (laughs) (laughs) you know. Well, you mentioned that, um, you know, the the book does go into some dark places. Mm -hmm. And when you think about family relationships, when you think about, um, you know, the haves and the have-nots and the haves being very interested in keeping what they consider to be theirs and and also Mm -hmm. to kind of be keeping away from, you know, the have-nots. I mean, there's a lot that uh, I would think an author could play with in terms of conflict and sort of, you know, dramatic sort of, Mm -hmm. you know, setting things apart. Right. Well, as I had said to you earlier, um, it's also kind of a nod to um, the small town that I grew up in, in that we thought we were perfectly normal you know, that we were like everybody else in the United States until that night I went to a a dinner party and was talking to someone and we got talking about childhoods and she looked at me and said, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but you grew up in the 50s and 60s, did you not? And I said, yeah. And she says, well, actually your lifestyle sounds more like the 30s. And I got thinking about it and and she was right, yes. And I kind of embellished on that uh, because that is part of the world these people created mm-hmm. and maintained in, in spite of the Vietnam War and, you know, uh, civil rights and all of that. Their life continued on and, e- and even keel with all these little dark potholes. <laughs> yeah. It was interesting that you talked about having pulled it out and liked it. That's always been my litmus litmus test for my own writing mm-hmm. is if it sits three weeks and then I look at it and I'm like, huh, if it looks like someone else wrote it and I still like it, then I'm ready to go. <laughs> a lot of truth yeah. in that. Right? Uh, yes, a lot of truth, Tony. Uh, yeah. Because when I read it, I, I, when I found it, I could hardly remember writing it. Right. And I thought, and that's when I finally figured, well, that was 20 years ago. And well, where was I going with this? And then after I read the uh, prologue and read the first chapter, I thought, ah, yes, I remember where this was going. And it went to that point, but not really the way I had planned. It right. Just, you know how uh, characters are in books. They kind of 
take on a life of their own, and they will lead you along. As, and like with this Mark Stedman, I got to one point where I was writing away about what was happening, and I thought, oh, my dear, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. And it did. Right. <laughs> but it really was not part of the plan. But you Right. Know, I it, think that's one of the things that I, I think people who are not writers find sort of fascinating mm -hmm. is that they're like, well, you're the writer. Aren't you in control? No. And the answer is no. <laughs> the answer is very quickly no, that once you create these characters, yeah. they will have a set of, they will have their own compass, whether, mm -hmm. you know, moral and directional, and they, and they will do you know what they're going to do and yeah. sometimes we're surprised by, by yeah. that about this this the the incident that i was referencing i mean just took me aback after i wrote it i thought oh my dear i didn't really think he was going to do that <laughs> there's, there's a, a comedian on twitter well he's a comedian he's also on twitter his name is gary goldman and one of the things that he's been doing recently is uh tweeting about his different writing and one of the things that he said that stuck with me and that's, I think, super applicable is like sometimes when you write a bad joke, it's not a bad joke. You're just not old enough to understand it yet. So don't be afraid to go back and look at and look at stuff that you thought wasn't any good. Right. Because you might have had an idea of what would be good if you had enough experience to talk, talk about, about it. it. Yes. And so. This sounds very much like that. Like, oh, yeah. you started and you're like, I don't know where this is going to go. And you put it down and then 20 years elapses and yeah. you're like. Ah, now I'm mature enough right. to see how this story, to let this story take the, the when I was when I was younger, I put it on this path and I couldn't see where the path was going. Right. I wasn't old enough. Now I'm old enough to see where the path is going, and I'm also confident enough to let to let the right. to story go where it wants to go. Where where I was a kid, I'm like, I can't control this narrative. I don't want any right. part of it. Well, I've um, recycled maybe two or three old short stories mm. for the anthologies that they've been publishing. Right. And that is so true with them. You know, they, a couple, one of them I'd written back in college, uh, but it was still, you know, still valid. But as I rewrote it, you know, I, I saw exactly what you're talking about, you know, that no, when I was writing this, I really, you're listening There's to stuff, Sometimes so You're Not Ready to Write. Story, and this exactly. week, our guest yeah. is Jamal. That's why you let us sit and you, you, you can yeah. follow start along with all of else. our shows Absolutely. at So What's Your Story yeah, and, we, and I think Barbara Lockhart, one of the previous authors we've had on this show, she talked about, you know, sometimes coming back to a, a project that she had started, you know, years ago. And just sometimes she just, it's, that happens to be the one that she picks up mm -hmm. and then says, Oh, where was I headed with this? So yeah. I think that's maybe a sort of a common experience. Yeah. You know? I, we're all human. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's part of the human condition. <laughs> exactly. And so and so it sounds like you so you started this story. So you've been writing for, for a long time then. Oh, I've been writing most of my life. Uh the you know question is always, Well, when did you start writing? Well, I started in the third grade <laughs> when my teacher decided everybody had to write a short story. And I wrote one, and she was just enthralled with it. And ever since then, I have written off and on. Mm. You know, I, I've i never pursued it uh, with any intensity, and except for um, when my wife and I got involved with a local theater group, we uh, did many 
many stage shows, and I got into writing um, plays, and I did pursue that, you know, pretty avidly. Did not have any great success other than uh, um, two of them were uh, produced by local uh, theater companies and and very well received, but uh, as far as uh, any... Tony Awards. Uh-uh. Right. <laughs> what what attracted you to writing the what to writing? If anyone is listening to this who is who is a regular listener, they know I'm about to say how dialogue is just not my friend. Mm. Like I'll I can do exposition. I can I can tell you what's going on when I put it in someone's mouth. It always feels false to me, mm-hmm. and my pathetic attempts at dialogue have kept me away certainly from fiction but even more also not more important just also from plays and so when you make that leap how how do you make it and, and where's where does the the confidence come like how do you know how you're doing until you've done you don't i guess i honestly don't know tony um dialogue is something that has just always come very Easily and naturally to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess the first time um, I had applied for a uh, fellowship for um, uh, the Delaware um, State Arts Council, they you know do that every year, and I had sent in one of my one act plays, uh, and they awarded me uh, a fellowship as an established play- playwright. And the one thing they said was your, you know, your dialogue is so natural. It flows, you know, so I, I I don't know. I've, I've always enjoyed just sitting and listening to people talk. And I think I've just (laughs) absorbed it. I always just enjoy talking and (laughs) keeping other people from doing the same. So I guess that's why. (laughs) No, not necessarily. Uh, But I, you know, I just, I. when I get into doing dialogue, it's it's usually much easier than doing the exposition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this speaks to every writer sort of knows their strengths and weaknesses, mm-hmm. and and if you're smart, you, yeah. you 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 play to your you play to your your strengths on that. So, have your pr- plays been produced? Like, what's it like to see a play that you've written? Oh, it was astounding. It really was. I mean, it was it was small potatoes. Um, it was a local theater group uh, in Georgetown, Possum Point Players. I don't know if you know. Right, them. yes, no. And uh, this friend of mine and I had collaborated on a um, musical comedy. He wrote the music, and I wrote the script, and we collaborated on the lyrics. And the uh, Possum Point Players selected it as their spring musical comedy that they do every year and it it played for um eight performances it got standing ovations it, it just blew me away i mean people just loved it and yeah. how'd you get on with the director you didn't direct it no no i did not i i always i always wonder about that because there's got to be at least a little tension <laughs> no there wasn't really. really no the only tension was he came to me about six weeks into rehearsals and he said and I, I knew the, man, the guy. I mean, he and I had been friends, so you know, nothing he was going to say was going to offend me. And he says, I have one, one thing to criticize about this play. 
And I said, well, what's that, Jim? He says, you have left me nothing to do. Uh. He says, all your stage directions are in there. And that's the way I write a play, you know, cross down stage left, you know, pick up this, turn around, you know, voice should denote this. He says, I don't have anything to do. He says, it's all right here in black and white. I said, well, Jim, you can play with it. It's yeah. not It's not etched in stone. But, uh, well, that must be a really that must be a really incredible moment to be sitting in the audience and to see things that were in your head yeah. now sort of moving about on stage yeah, and real people are giving yeah. voice to to your words. I mean, that's got to be a powerful moment. Oh, it was. It really was. And then uh, I guess it was a year later, um, the um, Lake Forest um, High School drama club did that play also for for uh, oh, at this point you have to tell everyone the name of the play it was called oh maggie uh-huh oh maggie and uh uh it's <laughs> to quote um uh, an acquaintance of mine who was teaching at the time with my daughter she stopped her in the hall and she said, oh, I just loved your father's play. It was pure Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> and it was when you, you know, it was all about mistaken identities and assumed identities. And and uh, it was fun. You know, it was a really uh, a fun show to write, a fun show to see. Um, it was all about uh, college kids and their parents. And... Uh, you know, assuming different identities because they wanted to be something else. And and it was all very kind of symbolic. The name of the uh, university was I Want to Be You. Right. And um, um, it just, uh, just kind of unfolded. <laughs> it seems very playful. Oh, you know, it was playful, yeah. You know, it seems like you sort of just kind of watching you now, you sort of delight in the sort of the playful nature of, yeah. of that versus, you know, something that's more serious in your yeah. fiction. So mm -hmm. did the two, do, do the two sort of balance each other, like the seriousness of the fiction and sort of the playfulness of the plays, or is it just kind of whatever kind of moves I think you it's at just, the moment? I think it's just me. Right. I mean, uh, you know, uh, quite honestly, um, like many creative people, I've, I've battled depression all my life, uh, as long as I can remember. But the other side of me is a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> me too, but that's usually the loaded side. No. Though <laughs> uh, that helps. At our coffee shop in Milton, uh, they have a sign there that says alcohol because no good story ever began by eating a salad. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> um. I'm sorry, I, I stepped oh, no, on no, your you So I want to get back to I want to get to back to your to your working in uh, in fiction. When you do you like choose between whether you're going to be working on a short story or whether you're putting it together for a collection or whether you're going to make it in make it into a novel? Like does a does a short story ever tell you you're being lazy? Finish me, and it becomes a novel, or no. can you tell the difference when you're starting? I usually can tell the difference. Yeah. Um, I'm working on another novel now and I had to do quite a bit of research on it and I finally have gotten pen to paper, so to speak. And, but I know just by virtue of the subject matter that it will be a novel. Yeah, it's too. I can't do it in a short story. 
Right. And in that, in, you know, in many respects, um, I find that short story writing is much more difficult because you've got to compress everything. Mm. You've got to really decide how much detail can you give the reader without losing them. You know, how soon to get the dialogue in there to snag them so that they right. want to see what's happening. And you can't go on forever because they're not sitting there to read, you know, a novella. They want a short story. And uh, that's why they're reading it. So it's, I find short stories a bit more difficult. I just uh, was listening to a, a podcast about movies. And one of the, there was a movie writer and he said he turned in his first script back when he was like, a kid and the director said, this is a television movie. And he said, what do you mean? He's like, well, they already paid. You don't have to catch them. <laughs> you know, you take your time, let it develop. They already, they're, they're sitting there. They'll give you time. You're not trying to catch them between commercials. <laughs> and I thought that that was a really interesting way that is. to put it, the difference between a novel and a short story, like right. a short story. If, if I'm still bored at word, whatever, 800, I'm, 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 no, you're going to lose me. Yeah. But yeah. if in a novel, I'll give you, I'll give you 6,000 words before <laughs> before I'm like, yeah, this might not be for me. Right. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting because I sort of find it the opposite. Like, for me, a short story is easier to write than, uh, than a novel or, or a full book, only because I think my attention span is built for You're a short story. You're listening to so Also, though, having your read your short work, they look like Gould, they come to you Author fully. of Immemorial Lives. And so, for more when, you are, when you're sitting down to do, well to do a short work, you have it. You're like, okay, I know show. exactly. Visit So What's Your Story I, I could probably podcast. give you a word count off the top of my head how long this is going to be because your short works are self-contained and clearly don't demand more. And then your longer works clearly demand more from I mean, from the first word. So that, right. that makes sense with your work yeah. to me. Yeah. Is, how is it for you when you sit down to work on a novel? Do you have, like, ideas that you're kind of thinking yeah. over to flesh out? Or oh, is yeah. it just sort yeah. of... I had, well, like, with one of the Matting crowd, it, you know, I knew some of the episodes that these people were going to encounter. Um, other things developed. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, basically, as I got into it, then I began to see, okay, this is where we're going to go, and, you know, we're going to go there. Um, unlike you, Stephanie, with a short story, many times when I sit down, I don't know where it's going. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what makes it difficult. Right. You know, because I say you've got to get it in there, and, and um, so consequently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so Devil's Party Press uh, published one of the Maddening Crowd. Could you tell us a little bit about what it was like to, to work with them as your oh, publisher? It was effortless. <laughs> oh, fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it really was. Um, they, um, the editing just went very smoothly. I mean, they would, you know, take a few chapters and edit, send it to me for my approval. If I didn't, the things I approved were fine the things i didn't they were fine with unless obviously if i'd made some huge blunder he they would have held their ground but, right you know, sure but um no it was it was quite effortless yeah that's fantastic yeah because yeah. i mean the the whole piece kind of comes together really well i mean the cover has a very vintage feel yeah. 
you know, in the cream color paper and the various. Well, that was all Dave uh, and... Yurkovic's doing. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, really he, well done. I did. I picked out the photograph. <laughs> and that's about it. <laughs> but the whole concept of how it was going to look came from him, and he's very talented in that area. Yeah. Yeah, and is this your first novel with them? Yes. Yep. Fantastic. And like I said, you've and you've appeared in several of their anthologies. And, yes. I've, and that I've, would be your short story work in, in those. Yeah, I have um, several short stories. Uh, they are, I think we're in the process of publishing the sixth anthology. It hasn't gone to press yet. Okay. But I've got at least one story in all of them, two in s- several of them. So. Now, and now how does that work? Because I, as I understand it, it's almost like a collective of writers that all kind of submit at the same time. Can you mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I, it started off, it kind of grew out of our uh, the Milton Workshop, the writers group, um, because uh, Dave Yurkovic and Diane Pierce were the ones who established the writers group. And that, uh, that'll be four years ago in April. And as we started generating all of this work, they got the idea, well, let's not stop here. Let's start, you know, publishing on them. Right. And so, uh, and now they have branched out. They actually um, solicit submissions on their website. Mm-hmm. They've had submissions from the UK and the West Coast. And so it's beginning, becoming a very varied um, so it's like a 2,500 mile radius. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and when you submitted the first time, were you, were you, was there like any kind of like nervousness about it? Were you worried about whether or not you were going to get in? Were you worried about whether or not you were going to like their editorial choices? Not really. Yeah. No, I, um, I think part of that has to do with my age. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, at my age, not much bothers me. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, I had faith in what they were doing. I mean, I had, um, where the book was concerned, I mean, I had seen what they had done with the anthologies, and I thought, no, this, you know, this is uh, the way to go. I mean, I had tried, I mean, off and on all my life sending it to, agents and publishers and you know that's not this book but things that i had right and with no no success well it can be an exhausting process it is and i'm not good at it yeah no you know that that part of writing bores me to tears Mm -hmm. i mean submitting and writing cover letters and figuring out what you're going to send and waiting for them you know, for the rejection, right. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I'll sit and write all day long, but please don't make me do all that. <laughs> yeah, that's the one part we all hate. Right. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, you have to be both writer and, you know, entrepreneur yes. at the same time. And, and, it, and it can be tough. Yeah. And so consequently working with Dave and Diane, it was very easy for me to just hand the reins over to them and say, you do what you do well and I'll, do the best I can. <laughs> right, exactly. So it sounds like working with um, Devil's Party Press was a very natural relationship yes, it was. And, yeah. and has been very fruitful for you. Yes, it has. 
Yeah. I mean, we're not on the New York Times bestsellers list, but still, we're published. There you go. <laughs> and you've got a good-looking project, yeah. and it sounds like, yeah. you know, the process, you know, didn't make you rip your hair out. No. and, and you. Well, to... actually, uh, you know, uh, when I first um, met with the writer's group uh, is when I got back to writing it, and actually, it took me three years to finish it because I would just write a couple of chapters and then when we would meet again mm-hmm. you know we would I would share it they would critique it and did the whole book that way and oh, it was fantastic. very helpful wow. for, you know because the people in the group are very very talented and so consequently um, it was great to get their feedback you know yeah. not all of it did I accept but I mean the stuff that I felt that was good I kept yeah I mean it sounds like you sort of ended up in sort of the best of all situations oh I think so yeah I mean I I I thoroughly all right Stephanie well now this is the part of the show where you thank the guest oh goodness well thank you so much David well thank you your story was produced by Saltwater Media an indie book publisher in Berlin Maryland visit us at so what's your story podcast.com where you can find past episodes guest bios show notes and all sorts of fun stuff you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes Radio Public Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts and remember take a second and give us a great review tell your story